I invite your attention to Romans chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 8 through 17. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So Paul in verse 16 says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. He's unashamed of the gospel. This morning we want to observe why Paul was unashamed of the gospel. And learning from Paul, may you and I enter into this new year with new resolution to be unashamed of this glorious gospel, to rejoice in the gospel, to share the gospel that's been hope and desire of God's people throughout the ages. Isaac Watts wrote, I am not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend His cause, maintain the honor of His word, the glory of of His cross. Jesus my God, I know His name. His name is all my trust. Nor will He put my soul to shame, nor let my hope be lost. Firm as His throne, His promise stands, and He will well secure what I've committed to his hands till the decisive hour. Then will he own my worthless name before his Father's face and in the new Jerusalem appoint my soul a place. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Can that be said of us this morning? Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 8 gave a very sobering warning about being unashamed of him and his words Mark 8.34, And Jesus summoned the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen to verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory 
of his Father, with the holy angels. So we do not want to be ashamed of, of the Lord, of his gospel. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he would write of, of being unashamed of the gospel. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And then in verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. And here's the reason why. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So returning to Romans 1, Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul is going to give us the reason why he is unashamed of the gospel. There's going to be a, a, a logical sequence to what Paul believes and is convinced of in verses 16 and 17. That's going to be a, a great blessing, I think, to us as well. Based upon verses 16 and 17, let me give you my thesis statement. Paul said, I am unashamed... Because the gospel is the saving power of God in which the righteousness of God is revealed. And that is the reason the Apostle Paul was unashamed of this good news of salvation through Christ. Again, I am unashamed because the gospel is the saving power of God in which the righteousness of God is revealed. And we want to flesh out that statement with three questions and answers. And, and the Three questions and answers are based upon the conjunction that Paul uses in verses 16 and 17, the conjunction for. In the original, it's the, the conjunction gar. So it can take on the meaning of because. So think of that as we look at verses 16 and 17 again. Well, beginning in verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome for... I am unashamed of the gospel. Secondly, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So first of all, why is Paul ready or why is he eager to preach the gospel in Rome? In verse 14, he states, I am under obligation. He was under a divine compulsion because God had called him to this ministry of proclaiming the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And he says, I am eager to preach the gospel at Rome. And the reason why, verse 16, 4, because I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is saying, I do not feel this painful sense of loss of my status because of the proclamation of the gospel. Now, why would Paul even make that statement? Why would anyone be ashamed of proclaiming the gospel? Have you ever felt a sense of embarrassment maybe when you had a desire to share with someone the good news of salvation through Christ at school or at work? Maybe a, a family holiday when extended family was present. 
And the opportunity arose. The, the door was open to proclaim what Jesus Christ means to you. What Jesus Christ has done for us based upon the Word of God. And there was a sense of embarrassment that, that caused you to, to kind of shrink back and, and remain quiet. Well, Paul desires to come to the very epicenter of the Roman Empire and proclaim this gospel. But it's a gospel that is looked upon by the world as foolishness. We get an idea of, of this in the next letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes, verses 22 and through 24, For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Listen, to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the gospel is looked upon by the lost as being foolishness. It's moronic that the eternal destiny of people has been determined by someone dying on a cross. That's foolishness. I don't want any part of that. You mean to tell me that salvation is based upon what someone else did in my place? Dying as a curse on a cross before God? I don't want any part of that. That's the way the world views the gospel. The world likes to think of salvation in terms of, of what I have done. What I have accomplished. It's all about self. And the gospel is all about renouncing self. Think of the parable that Jesus gave concerning the Pharisees who trusted in themselves. The Pharisee went to church. He went up to the temple to pray. And it was all about what he had accomplished. He thanked God, but it was just a pretense of thankfulness because he said, I thank you, God, that I tithe and I fast and to do all of the things that are right. And, and I'm not like other people. I'm not like sinners. I'm not like this tax collector who also was at the temple that day, standing afar off, smiting his breast, exclaiming, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Ask that question to our culture. Which of the two do you think went home saved or justified? Well, the good man, the man that tried to do what was right, the man that did do what was right. Wrong! Wrong! He went back to his house damned! Condemned, trusting in his own righteousness, of which he had none before God. Or the one that threw himself upon the, the mercy of God. He went down to his house and went back home, saved and justified. That is crazy and ludicrous to the world. That salvation is determined by Christ, fully by Christ, solely by Christ. And Paul said, I'm ready to come to the capital of the Roman Empire and, and I'm eager to preach the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I am eager, I'm excited, I'm ready, I'm zealous. And the reason why, verse 16, because Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of salvation through our Savior. 
In Acts chapter 17, when Paul is preaching the gospel, Mars heel. As he, as he concludes the sermon, in verse 31, he proclaimed, Because he, God, has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. So humanly speaking, we, we, we can understand if we place ourselves in Paul's shoes why he might be ashamed, naturally speaking. Because which of us here this morning has never battled fear of man? The fear of looking ridiculous because of our faith. How can we overcome that? How can we be like Paul and say, I'm eager to preach the gospel wherever God gives the opportunity because I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Well, that brings us to the next four clause or, or statement. Notice the progression. John Murray says about Paul's progression here, there is a continuous and progressive unfolding of reasons in the text. So I'm unashamed. I'm, I'm eager because I'm unashamed of the gospel. Here's the second four statement. For it, the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for or unto or to salvation. The word for there is a, is a preposition. I um, To, into, unto salvation. This gospel that Paul has already introduced in verse 2 of chapter 1. He's unashamed of it. Listen to what he says about this gospel that he's unashamed of, that, that is the power of God unto salvation. Beginning in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God. It originates with God, and it's all about God. That's the reason it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't build up self-esteem. It, it's about God. It's about what God has done for us in Christ. He says of this gospel of God in verse 2, which He, God, promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So this gospel of God, it's, a, it's an ancient message. It's a message of antiquity that finds its roots in divine revelation. It finds its roots in the Old Testament Scripture. It's not the invention of man. It was promised by God. And those promises of salvation through the Messiah are found in the, in the Bible. And then verse 3, what is the gospel about? What is the gospel of God all about? Verse 3, concerning His Son. The gospel focuses upon the Son of God. It doesn't focus on us, does it? It focuses on what Jesus has done for us. Concerning His Son. And then there's two statements about his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, his incarnation. Verse 4, secondly, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel of God. It focuses upon Christ, his flesh, his, his coming in the flesh to die, his resurrection, which was God's, which was God's final statement that he was that he approved of, of who Jesus said he was and what Jesus did. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. 
And Paul says about Jesus Christ our Lord in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations or all the Gentiles for his name's sake. It's for his glory, for his honor. This is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. So therefore, why would Paul be ashamed of the gospel if it's the power of God to salvation? It's the omnipotence of God that's being effectively communicated in the good news. Think about that. When the gospel is being proclaimed, God is actively working to draw souls to himself. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it's all, it's all because of what God's doing. I mean, it's amazing to think that this morning, someone in this building might experience God's power in drawing, drawing you to himself. And it's the power of God. It's the way God has designed it. It's not because little fragile men have power. It's because the Word of God, God has designed that His gospel go forth and save sinners. God, through His gospel, delivers people out of a state of sin and bondage to sin into a state of life and salvation. It's through the gospel that, that God works so that blinded eyes are opened. And hardened hearts are softened. That those that are in the sphere of Satan's realm are delivered into the realm of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God's dear Son. The gospel displays God's power. It has life-giving vitality that effectually calls sinners into life. So therefore, why would Paul be ashamed of the gospel? Why would we be ashamed of the gospel? Parents, do not be ashamed of the gospel. I know you, you have family devotion and sometimes you think, what is the use? We don't really think that, do we? Is that just me? And you look at the kids and they seem to be bored out of their minds. And you think, do I go through this another night? Yes, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Maybe preachers, they, they stand before the people of God and, and sometimes people are nodding off to sleep. And we convince ourselves it's the high blood pressure medicine they're taking. It's, it can't be my preaching. And yet we, we recognize that God has designed the gospel to be the powerful way that he draws sinners to himself. We've all walked away from opportunities where we communicated the gospel and it seemed like there was no response, no favorable response. And, and we think, why do I want to put myself through that again? That was awkward. Or we convince ourselves, boy, I'm a loser at this. I, I must not know all the, the right ways to communicate the word of God. I'm not hip with this. I don't know how to share the gospel because people so often are indifferent or they respond with anger. No, we shouldn't try to be hip in proclaiming the gospel. Be faithful. And we, and we trust in God. We trust in God. 
God delights to honor his son, and the gospel honors his son. The father says, that's my son you're talking about. And I'm honored in that, and I'm, and I'm pleased with you in that. And then there are times when, when the gospel is effective, when the, the call of the gospel is joined with the power of the Holy Spirit, the divine omnipotence of God in rescuing sinners. In fact, all of us that are here this morning that are believers in Christ are believers because the gospel is the power of God into salvation. You once were bored out of your mind sitting in church. What happened? It began to be a, a holy interest. It began to make sense. Christ became precious. It's because the gospel was the power of God to salvation. Paul speaks of this power, again turning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Yes, it's, it's viewed, it's deemed moronic by the world. But listen to Paul's reliance upon the Spirit to make the, the gospel powerful. One of my favorite texts in the Scripture to encourage me in sharing this good news. Verse 1, And when I came to you, Paul writes, Brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming you the, to you the testimony of God. That's good news. If, if maybe you want to go on Virginia Tech campus and you think, but, but I don't have this, this great gift of, of elocution. I, I don't have the superiority of speech. Well, you're, you're following in, in, in the footsteps of, of Paul who did not use superiority of speech. He didn't use human wisdom proclaiming the testimony of God. In fact, he writes, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And here's the reason why. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. So they would not be wowed by Paul's persuasive speech. They didn't walk away saying, whoa, Paul is, is a great orator. No, they walked away saying, Paul believes in a mighty God. So that your faith would rest not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So why is Paul unashamed of the gospel? Because the gospel is God's power for salvation. That brings us to the third question. Why is the gospel God's power Unto salvation. Verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel is God's instrument to bring people to salvation because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That word revealed there is a present passive indicative. It means that, that God continues to reveal His righteousness in the gospel. He, he, he's been doing this for 2,000 years. It's ongoing. It's God that's doing this. I love that Acts 13 text. You know, uh, Paul is referring back to the, the, the servant in Isaiah. But by extension... The servant has become a light to the nations by calling 
His church, His people to be a light. And God is, is continuing even today to reveal His righteousness. It's continuing. And it's, and it's God that's doing it. God is the one that is revealing His righteousness in the gospel. Now when we think of the righteousness of God, we can, we can think of, of God's activity, His effective power that's being displayed. The righteousness of God is used in that manner in the scripture. It's, it's also, it, it's, it's used of, of God's attribute, His righteous character, His rectitude. But it's also used, especially in the context of salvation, of of how God makes us righteous before Him. How God puts us in the right. How you and I can have a righteous standing before God. How can you and I be in a right relationship with God? Are we born in a right relationship with God? Not according to Scripture. Romans 3 says there is none righteous. No, not one. None of us by nature are are righteous. And yet to stand in the presence of God, to be in a right relationship with God, we have to be perfectly righteous. I mean, it's summed up in this manner. Let's take a, a, a test this morning. Two questions. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Has anyone's mind drifted away yet this morning? We've all sinned, haven't we? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, why does the church have to put a sign out front for visitors? Because you're so selfish, you would park up front if there wasn't a sign. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so we're not righteous before God. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So that's a real problem this morning. That's that's a monumental problem. If it weren't for God's grace, the gospel. This gospel is powerful because God is revealing how man can be righteous, how God makes men righteous. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. Christ lived the life that we should have lived. He did love His Father with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength. He did love His neighbor as Himself. And when we place our faith in Christ, we receive His righteousness. God credits the the righteousness of Christ to our account. What about our sin? On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God so that we might be forgiven. That's good news. We look outside of ourselves to the righteousness of Christ. We receive it by faith. Faith not contributing to our righteousness. It's simply the, the means by which we lay hold of it. Remember John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Faith says, I see Him. I see Him. I trust in Him. I commit myself to Him to take away my sin. Paul will flesh this out in more detail in Romans 3. Listen to what he wrote in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, being declared righteous as a gift by His grace. So we are made righteous, and Paul stresses this, as a gift by His grace. What did we contribute? It's free. It's a gift. We simply receive it by faith. It's it's because of His grace, His unmerited favor, what God has done for us in Christ. Now, when he says it's a gift and it's free, he doesn't mean that it came without cost. Because it was through, it was through the means of the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Christ paid the ransom. He paid the price, which was his own blood. It was costly. But we receive it freely. It's in this gospel that God is revealing his righteousness. He is saying you have none. None. Apart from Christ. And that righteousness is sufficient. Think of 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21. For he made him to be sin for us. God made Christ to be sin for us. Our sin was placed upon the account of Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Sinless. That's Christ. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. By trusting in Christ, we're made righteous. Or again in Philippians 3. Paul revels in this gospel and this righteousness that is his through Christ. In verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may win Christ. Listen to verse 9. And may be found in him, found in Christ, found in Christ. And I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It's from God. It's because of Christ. We receive that by by faith. And we have a right standing before God. God says, you're not guilty. In fact, you're righteous. You're righteous. So, this gospel is powerful because God is actively revealing the righteousness secured for us by Jesus. He's revealing that to us by faith. By faith. Understand, faith is is simply trusting, relying, committing ourselves to Christ for salvation. It's accepting, receiving, and resting on Christ alone for salvation. That's justification by faith. Not self-dependence, not self-confidence, not self-reliance. Even in 2022, it's not self-determination. Oh, I hope we make Renewals to be more committed to Christ, but your self-determination in 2022 to be more faithful to God is not your righteousness before God. Faith 
trusting in Christ is renouncing self. It doesn't look to who we are or what we've done. It looks only to Christ and trust in Him. So when we think about what all is is embedded in the gospel, why would we be ashamed of it? It's glorious. It's marvelous. It's It's the good news of how the blessed God has saved sinners. Now in closing, let me give you two implications that flow out of being unashamed of the gospel. First of all, we must go on living by faith. Justification by faith, being made righteous, declared righteous before God, that's how we are made just. But the just must continue to live by faith. How important is this when we think of our assurance, blessed assurance? When we're plagued with doubts, when we lose our temper, when we've struggled with anger, when we've had a lustful thought, how easy it is to spiral downward because we thought that our salvation somehow was maintained by our own righteousness. We have to look outside of self again to find hope and encouragement. We continue to live by faith. In fact, Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul, what's the eagerness? These guys are Christians. Why are you so ready to preach the gospel to the church at Rome, to the church? Because the church needs to hear the gospel, right? That's how God matures us. Through the gospel and by, of course, the the, the instruction that, that flows out of the gospel, how we're to live righteous lives. Paul says, I want you to be established. We continue to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's how we're converted. But we continue to live by faith. We continue to trust in God. We continue to trust in what God has revealed in His Word. We, we trust in God for strength. We trust in God in order to have hope. We trust in God to have strength to obey His commands. We live by faith. We don't live by sight. It takes faith to live Romans 8.28, right? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And we, we look at circumstances, right? And we say, I, I have no idea how this is working together for good. My senses, my intuition, my experience, it's screaming, no, it's not. Faith says, this is what God revealed, therefore, I trust God. We must continue to live by faith. And then secondly, we must go on to live righteous lives. Imputed righteousness leads to a life of practical righteousness. Not perfect righteousness. We're continually trusting in Christ, but that is the impetus, the the motivation, the help to live lives that honor God. So we don't use grace as an excuse to go on sinning. And Paul deals with that later in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He would go on to write in Romans 6, Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be, God forbid. 
Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God. Who else would be thanked? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Because God has justified you in Christ. Trust in the strength that God has provided that you can obey, that you will obey. We must obey. We're called to obey. Not live loose lives. Not to pursue holiness. But to pursue holiness in light of this gospel. To take sin serious to fight against it, to kill it, to mortify it, to vivify the life of God in us, being filled with the Spirit and and seeking to honor and please God with our lives in every area of our life, that we would come under the Lordship of our Savior, unashamed of the Gospel. Why was Paul ready to preach the Gospel in Rome? Because he was unashamed of the Gospel. Why is the gospel, why is he unashamed of the gospel? Because it's the power of God to salvation. Why is it the gospel, why is the gospel God's power and salvation? Because God's revealing his righteousness in it. Again, let's be encouraged to proclaim this gospel, to embrace this gospel. To Echo the sentiments of of another hymn writer, Joseph Grigg. Jesus, and shall it ever be? A mortal man ashamed of thee, ashamed of thee whom angels praise, whose glories shine through endless days. Ashamed of Jesus, soon or far, let night disown each radiant star. Tis midnight with my soul, till he, bright morning star, bids darkness flee. Ashamed of Jesus, oh, as soon, let morning blush to own the sun. He sheds the beams of light divine o'er this benighted soul of mine. Ashamed of Jesus, that dear friend on whom my hopes of heaven depend. No, when I blush, be this my shame that I no more revere His name. Ashamed of Jesus, yes, I may, when I've no guilt to wash away, no tear to wipe, no good to crave, no fears to quell, no soul to save. Ashamed of Jesus, empty pride, I'll boast a Savior crucified. And oh, may this my portion be, my Savior, not ashamed of me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You this morning for this glorious Gospel. God, we thank You for the imputed righteousness of Christ. God, we thank You that You've given us the gift of faith to rest in Christ. God, please help us to Think about the beauty and the wonder of this glorious gospel. Help us not to be ashamed of it. Please, God, give us boldness to proclaim it. And God, please help us. We, we ask that you would give us desires according to your will, desires that would honor you.
that the very things we do and desire to do would be the very things that please you. Father, we thank you for this congregation this morning. Please sanctify us. Father, if there are those outside of Christ, would you please grant the gift of faith that they may trust in you and be made righteous. Father, please hear our cry of of thanksgiving that we offer to you through Christ, in whose name we pray. And amen.